I'm Arlen Hamilton, and this is Your First Million. I'm a venture capitalist. I started my fund Backstage Capital from the ground up while I was on food stamps. I have now invested in more than 100 companies led by women, people of color, and LGBT founders. After having raised more than $10 million, people often ask me how I did it. I created this podcast so I could tell you my story and so that together we could go on a journey and speak with some of the most successful people in the world from all backgrounds and walks of life to learn how they got their first million. And who knows, maybe I'll reach my first million in personal capital while I'm recording this series. There's only one way to find out. This episode is brought to you by Digital Ocean. Let's go. Welcome back, everybody. It's Arlen. This is your first million. So excited to have you back. And uh, whether you're listening to this the day we drop it or years from now, thank you, thank you, thank you for, for listening, for caring, for stumbling upon it, for knowing about it. I hope you're getting something out of each and every episode. This episode is Keith Wasserman. He is a really, really cool guy. I've known him for a few years on Twitter. We actually sat together on a plane once after knowing each other on Twitter and, and uh, kind of by coincidence. And I've always, you know, since starting the podcast, the, when I first got the idea a few months ago, I've wanted him on this on this. Uh, podcast. So I'm so glad he was able to stop by my place a few days ago and drop some knowledge. Really nice guy, really like friendly and, and caring person from what I gather. And it's kind of a cool story. I mean, for a lot of people, I would get a lot of feedback where you want to hear more tactical things. And, you know, some episodes are tactical, some are more philo- philosophical. This is, I think, tactical mostly. This is about real estate investing. He'll tell you in this episode about how he got started, uh, how, how it operates today. Basically started with one unit, um, I think in 2008, like at the height of the recession. And one unit, he'll talk about how he got that money together and, and where, where, he, uh, where he placed it. And then... To kind of just brick by brick, day by day, year by year, built that up. And now it has more than a billion dollars of assets under management, which means real estate valued at over a billion dollars that he that he owns or operates or uh, has gone through the, the, the funnel there. So really interesting stuff. And I think everyone can get something out of it, even if you're not interested in real estate. I know for some of you, you you've been waiting for this episode. You've been asking for the real estate episode. So this this will get us started. There are a couple of other people I want to get on the show about real estate, too. I know my friend John Henry has a great, great story about real estate. He's a venture capitalist. He's uh, a lot of things. And I just want to get him in. So we'll we'll definitely sit down with John at some point. He has more of an East Coast feel. This is from the West Coast perspective. And uh, yeah, I can't thank Keith enough. I think it's you know, very clear. And this will be one where you want to get out the notebook. Listen to Keith and come back and cue up the uh, the bonus episode to be the next thing you listen to. You might get something out of it. Uh, I don't know what I'm going to talk about, and that's kind of the point of them. So we'll see. There's no script. We'll see what happens. All right. Without further ado, you got to listen to Keith Wasserman 
This is Keith Wasserman. I'm the CEO and founder of Gelt Inc. And we're in the real estate investment and development business. So we followed each other on Twitter for a really long time. Yeah. Right. And then we were on the same flight. Yeah. Once. I recognized you instantly. It was the month your magazine was out. And I'm like, I got to say hi to Arlen too. Um, And then we sat next to each other and talked on the plane and the rest is history. Yeah. Yeah. And I don't think then I knew I was going to have this podcast, but I had started thinking about having conversations with people about it. And we had a great conversation about um, the work that you do in real estate. Yeah. And I just thought it was so fascinating because it is kind of like brick by brick and it it's very logical and makes sense. Um, yeah. Is it kind of the same as it was before when we were talking or has a lot changed since then? No, it's pretty much been about the same. I mean, it, it's getting more competitive and tougher to find good opportunities to buy the buildings that we're buying. And, you know, when, when other zig, you zag kind of thing. And since we spoke, we started buying a lot of um, manufactured housing communities, so mobile home parks. Yeah. Um, and we bought an RV park and even a self-storage facility. So, uh, we sort of have gone away from our main, you know, the main bread and butter is these larger apartment communities we've been buying, uh, 200 units and up in the Western United States. And we could go more into that, but we're trying to find opportunity where sort of other people aren't looking. Yeah. So let's, yeah, let's start a little bit earlier. First of all, when you say we, who were we talking about? How many partners do you have? Yeah. So I started this business. It's called Gelt in December of 2008. So if you rewind, that was really like, the blood was in the street. It was the heart of the recession. The stock market was in the toilet. Real estate prices were reeling. And my cousin came to me with the opportunity to buy a small four unit building in the Central Valley in a city called Bakersfield, California. And um, I know you just made an investment in, in a cool company in Fresno who just expanded to, to Bakersfield. Absolutely. Sure we could talk a little about that. Called Bitwise. Yes. Yeah. Really cool company. And we started literally with a four unit building. I didn't have anything to my name. So my cousin who had a, a job, I graduated from college in 07 and just learned as much as I could about real estate, got my broker's license, read as many books as I could, met with as many people as I could. He said, Keith, let's go buy this little fourplex in Bakersfield on the east side for $150,000. And um, the previously it sold for around 500,000. So it was way discounted. And we got an FHA loan. Um, we put only two and a half percent down, which was around five grand. And we borrowed that from a friend. And then we got a cash advance of 10,000 on our credit card. And that was the money to use to do the rehab. So literally, you know, as an entrepreneur, you got to sort of figure out a way to make it happen. And we made it happen just by, you know, sheer will, I guess. And that's how we bought our first little building in in that time, you know, rewind around 10, 11 years ago now. When we talked to uh, Liz Fung Jones a few episodes back, she talked about FHA loans being kind of the the way that she got her first home. And and that was a big part of it. Um, That you put down two and a half percent on a 150K house and then you rehabbed it. Did you physically work on the house or with that 10K or did you have someone come in and do it? Yeah. So my cousin, uh, his father was up in Bakersfield also doing real estate and investing. He just came at probably the worst time during the bu- the boom and was holding on to a lot of assets that fell in value. But he had a lot of um, contacts with local contractors and he really, you know, the, our fathers have had immense impact. My cousin Damien's father really helped us in learning the business of dealing with contractors, looking, walking the apartment unit, looking what needs to be done, 
figuring out the costs and, and bidding out to multiple contractors with the scope of work. And literally every week we were driving from LA to Bakersfield, you know, two, two and a half hour drive every week. Damien, my cousin oversaw all the renovations and rehab. I helped with finding the, the investors when we started buying more buildings, marketing of, uh, of, of our business as we continue to grow, dealing with the brokers, the lawyers, more of the the you know the outside guy and he was more inside dealing with the actual physical property um dealing with the renovations and then leasing out of the units so we didn't physically actually do the work ourselves but we were very hands-on on the crews we hired and just implementing our business plan on those properties and then what happened with that property yeah so after that we you know these were all reo real estate owned bank bank owned properties uh that were sort of left for nothing they were boarded up there was a ton of them because um, of the residential mortgage boom, everyone could um, qualify for a loan it, on a one to four unit kind of property. It still qualifies as a residential. So people were losing these buildings left and right when the economy turned. And yeah, we, we renovated the units and then we leased them out. Each unit rented for around six ninety five, and our whole mortgage payment was only like six hundred dollars. So mm. if you have two units rented, you're cash flow positive. Three or four, you're cash flowing like a pig. I mean, it was it was great, but. Definitely learned a lot about uh, dealing with tenants, dealing with vacancy and just turnover. And it, it, it was a good lesson to learn. We, we started buying in the just sort of rougher parts of town because it was inexpensive. And later on, I learned it's, it's better to pay up a little bit to be in a little bit better area where you have tenants that are not as you know tough on the unit. And when they, they leave, the turnover costs are lower. They'll stay longer. Uh, you won't have as much vacancy issues. So you know, it was, it was all a learning experience to mm -hmm. then build on our future deals, which we started buying bigger and bigger buildings. And that was the end of 2008 going into 2009. When was it, what was the next step? Like what was the next kind of step up? Yeah. So the next step is we bought that first fourplex. Then we were, we were tapped out of money. So we needed to, there was tons of these REO bank owned properties. So we found, um, a family friend who put up 35,000 for the de deposit, uh, the down payment on the next property. So we bought another fourplex and then we brought in another family friend who did the same thing for the third. And then once we did all the renovation and rehab and leased them out, we proved that the values had gone up and we sold 49% of that LLC that owned those three buildings to someone else and used that money to buy another three buildings. And, and then we just started you know, bringing in one investor, another investor, and we bought like 15 of these little fourplexes all through 2009, actually, before we bought our first larger apartment community in December of 2009. So a full year later until we stepped up our game and we bought a 78 unit building in Bakersfield, California uh, for 3.9 million. And um, we raised 1.3 million of equity. And uh, yeah, that, that's, that was the next big step up. When you stepped up to that, to the millions, were you then able, were you then going to a, a syndicate of some sort? Yeah. So we put together around eight people that put together that 1.3 million. Uh, we charged an acquisition fee of around 150,000 that we just reinvested into the deal, which I'm very thankful we did because when we then sold the building a few years later for like six and a half million and, and, and exchanged it into a different building and and that went up. So uh, we really, you know, I lived at home with my cousin, saved as much money as I could and really, you know, wasn't making too much cash flow on those little fourplexes. The the bigger money came as we scaled the business and started bringing in more investors and buying bigger properties. But 
Uh, the only way I was able to buy that 78 unit building is we brought on two new partners. One, we called him the quote unquote gray hair, someone that had the experience and the track record and was able to help us qualify to get, get on those loans because it was a bigger loan. I wouldn't be able to qualify. So we brought on um, one gentleman and then my father, who, who we brought on also, who, who had a lot of the early, early investor relations because he's a well-known attorney and he had a lot of clients that trusted him. And we brought on family, friends. And yeah, we had eight people that really bet on us. And uh, we didn't have, we had a track record like those 15 little fourplexes, but it was a big jump going from those to a 78 unit apartment community that had a pool and, and uh, you know, clubhouse and manager office. And, you know, mm. it, was, it was a big jump for sure. Before we go further into the story, for someone who um, I've gotten actually some from questions from people who are listening who do specifically want to know about real estate okay. and they would be starting from the ground, like the ones that were asking this question. So they're starting from the ground up. Do you recommend doing what you did, which is like grab a, a smaller unit and and kind of learn how to be a, a landlord or how should they get in? Yeah, I think the best experience is hands-on. I mean, in college, I didn't even know I wanted to be in real estate. I could have taken a real estate class and stuff, but um, I've been a serial entrepreneur even you know before this business um, from 2003 to 2007 when I was in college uh, here locally in USC. I, I ran a eBay store. We bought and sold general merchandise. And literally, I was one day in the, in the classroom, one day in, in the warehouse, and we sold around 200,000 items on eBay, uh, clothing, DVDs, electronics, all kinds of stuff. So I'm just, I learned by just doing, I mean, I started with one item and then another item and then started going to auctions and buying items and sort of organically growing and snowballing. And I, the way I liked it is I learned as much as I could from books, but that only brings you the, so far, the best learning is on the job learning. If it's, you know, working for someone or trying to do your own thing. And, you know, the little fourplex that we bought, we, we, we had very little to lose. I was living at my parents' house and, you know, didn't have a mortgage payment, didn't have kids. I mean, I was 24 when I started. I'm, I'm 34 now. Mm -hmm. And I'd say the younger you are, the easier and you're free and unencumbered and don't have those big risks and responsibilities. And, but yeah, it was uh, some of the most fun times when we were getting started. Early part, the learning and the, yeah. did you, did you ever have any situations that were difficult? Like that taught you some hard lessons? Yeah, all the time. I mean, um, we've made mis tons of mistakes, but the mistakes you make when you're starting, are small mistakes and you don't have as much to lose as when you're doing, you know, bigger things. So mm -hmm. I think, you know, some of the most important things in any business are, are the people you're dealing with and your reputation you build. And, um, you know, I, I learned about all about reputation from my father, who's been in the legal practice for 40 years. And he's like friends with both the opposition and, and, you know, the people that he represents, they really, everyone admires him and respects him. And he keeps that really gold reputation. And we've learned that along the way, one of our only deals that we lost money on was a fourplex and we lost maybe 20, 25 grand, which was a lot back when we started, but we literally came out of pocket and gave that investor back our, our money, you know, to make them whole. So we could say we've never lost any investor, any money. And that's, you know, yeah. we're, we have that track record still. So I'd say, you know, the most important lessons dealing with the people, keeping that reputation and, and choosing your partners wisely. That's really, really important. And, and I'm glad we we're touching on that right now. Um, we talk about networking a lot and networking, meaning not just kind of talking to people and, and kind of socializing, but really creating this web of connection. And the part that 
sometimes gets overlooked or skimmed over is the actual how you act in that within that network, how mm-hmm. you um, are you a dis- decent person, how you uh, are a person of your word or your intention. And so reputation is a, is a huge key right now. Huge yeah. key that that I want to just make a point about in this episode, because um, you are going to have ups and downs and you're going to have times where Things don't work out the way you wanted them to. And if you throw a little fit or if you backstab someone, that always comes back. Just like the good can come back to you, the bad finds its way back to you in some way because people talk, right? People talk about how you are to each other. Have you found that where um, someone has kind of come back from the past to help you out or to... Totally. I mean, having that integrity and it's a small world, like in in any space you're in, in the real estate space, it's extremely small world. Um, in the tech community too. I mean, you you, you don't want to ever intentionally do something wrong to someone. And if it, if something you do is accidental, always apologize and try to make it right. And mm-hmm. it, 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 you know, I think we've grown so big and so quickly because of our great reputation and and people are always talking about us. Usually, most likely in a positive way, and that helps you know bring in new investors and new properties to buy. And you know, those loose connections are, are very important. I think. Right. So after that, that larger building at seven, you said 78 unit mm-hmm. unit building, then what was the next kind of step there? Yeah. So the next step was literally, you know, we bought the building, we made a lot of upgrades on the interiors, the exterior, it had a clubhouse that was just shut down. It was not being in use. So we, we made that into a gym. We thought that would add a lot of value to the residents. So they didn't have to go off site and pay whatever their monthly, you know, gym membership is. Um, we added, uh, I think a dog uh, run dog area for that, for pets. Um, we just made the curb appeal much better. The, the, all the fencing was dilapidated wood fencing. We replaced that paint, you know, redid all the parking lots, um, spent a few hundred thousand dollars, three, maybe three, 400,000 on that property and made it a better community. We had more community programming. We had breakfast on the go things for the you know families to do and, just made it a better community and in the process, providing more value for people and in the process, lifting rents responsibly. So, mm-hmm. uh, which increases the value of the property. And, and how many people yeah. are now involved as partners at this point? Yeah. So my, my partners, so at one time we had five, but now it's down to just the original myself, my cousin and my father. So real family so kind of run shop. Back at this building, there were five people. Or we three? had five partners and then in, we had eight investors like that put up the money. Yeah. So who's making that decision? Who's saying that needs to be a gym? That needs oh, to be yeah. a dog park. Um, it was pretty much a group effort. We all came with different ideas. I think the older gentleman that joined us and then my father really liked having the youth, the young people with the good ideas and energy to implement all this and to run to Bakersfield every week. And really, you know, we made a good team, I think, um, you know, in the beginning and definitely, you know, we learned a lot from our senior partner who had already dealt with dealing with managing apartments and just some of the things to look out for and, and be careful for. And, so we wouldn't get into too too many <laughs> troubles and stuff, but yeah. um, you know it's it was a good mix having the the senior pe- people in my partnership with the, the younger we we made a good team. Yeah, that's something too that sometimes we don't think about is is adding someone to your team who's seasoned, mm-hmm. you know, not just putting them out to pasture, yeah. but but really they've seen a lot, they have some opinions and some conviction which can come in handy, yeah. and so they. It, had those, you know, different people have different ideas. So you're able to lift up the value, charge a little bit more for rent. And then how long did you keep that property and take in rent as the motive, as the model of revenue? And then when do you decide to sell? Yeah. So that's always a tough 
situation. Um, we started selling some buildings that we bought in 09, 10, 11 in the early years to create a track record, to return capital to the investors. And, you know, they were already making good just cash flow from the operations of the building, but the biggest return came on the sale of the building. So we sold, we've, we've sold around 2,500 apartment units, give or take. We still own, give or take 5,000 apartment units. And nowadays we try not to sell too often because it just takes so long to find good opportunities to buy and to implement the business plan. We'd rather hold them long-term and just keep refinancing them, you know, over the years and eventually pulling out all the principal that the investors invested in. And then like one of my mentors says, it's just like a slot machine that'll just keep producing cash flow over the years and you won't have any money left in the deal. And, you know, it's like the golden goose that keeps laying the golden eggs, just, mm. you know, so everything we've sold, we sold and it's gone up way more. So it's sort of, there's always an adage, like never, just never sell real estate in a, in a good market that's improving. Um, time and inflation are real estate's best friends. And, you know, uh, it's, I have one story we bought in uh, 2010, 11 in Phoenix was our second market. We bought around 2000 units there. Uh, it was, an, it was really decimated. They had an immigration bill passed around a hundred thousand people left. Uh, they were just killed with the whole real estate housing boom and then busts the, um, yeah. And we bought a building for 16 million, a 415 unit apartment building. We put a, maybe a million into it. It, 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 it literally was our biggest capital raise. We had to raise five and a half million. This was a few years after I, you know, we bought that 78 build, unit building and it took us six months to keep raising the money. We had to close on it with lines of credit and borrow money from friends and stuff. And, uh, it was one of our best deals. We sold it later for 27 million, but mm. whoever bought it from us had enough capitalization. They put maybe six to 8 million into the property and really did the, the job that we just, we were just too capital strapped. We didn't have that kind of funds. And they then sold it for 55 million. So it was wow. a huge, yeah, it was, it was, it's, it was tough to swallow, but I, I tell all the investors, like, you know, any, anything that you bought with us after that sold, and if you held on, you know, you would have made probably just as much, but um, definitely keep, you know, creating that track record was important in the beginning mm -hmm. years, returning capital to investors. And nowadays to sell, just sell occasionally, you know, if, if we think the area is more, maybe not, not as good as it used to be, or the, the building doesn't have as much upside because we've renovated all the units maybe, but typically if it's a good area and it's improving, we, we try to hold on long, long term. So I'm really excited about our sponsors for this episode, Digital Ocean. I spoke at their employee lunch a few months ago in New York City at their headquarters, and I was just blown away by their team, by their diversity in the room, by the community that they've built, the curiosity uh, of thought there. It was really, really fun, and they are some really cool people. So when we partnered to sponsor and launch this podcast, I was stoked. Let me tell you a little bit about what they are and who they are and what they're offering us. So DigitalOcean is a cloud platform that makes it easy for startups to launch high-performance modern apps and websites with simple, predictable pricing, no gotcha pricing, and a UX that developers around the world love. You can stop worrying about your cloud hosting and storage bills and have more time to just focus on your business. We all need more time. So that's not all. They want to make it even easier for new businesses to launch apps in the cloud. If you're a startup, don't miss out on applying for their incredible Hatch Incubator Program. Over 2,000 startups in DigitalOcean's Hatch have received amazing perks, like a year's worth of free cloud infrastructure credits, special events, prioritized support, technical training, and more. 
Learn more about DigitalOcean's global startup community and apply for Hatch at do.co slash backstage. That's do.co slash backstage. And so today, what's the, the big portfolio? What, what, how many units do you have and yeah. what kind of value do they have? Yeah. So we, um, you know, each, each property we buy is its own single purpose entity LLC with a different investor base. I'd say a large portion of the investors put a little money into every single deal. And then some like it, like to pick and choose. And then some, you know, just get tapped out, have to make a few more bucks and then invest in the next one. So the 5,000 give or take apartment units, uh, plus we have a thousand mobile home park sites, and we're also building around 550 apartments locally in LA. Uh, total value of all those buildings are around 1.3 billion, and um, we've sold around 2,500 units already that were, give or take, 200 million dollars of sales. Wow! So definitely uh, has grown a lot since the fourplex. Well, yeah. let's talk more about that then. Let's break that down a little bit. So when you say 5,000 units, you mean like a, a, apartment homes? Yeah, homes. So, so the 78 unit would have been 78 correct. of the 5,000 if it were still being counted. Yeah. Okay. So how do you know how many buildings you have? Yeah. So that's probably we we we've probably got around 30 properties, give or take. So mm-hmm. some are smaller, some are larger. Um, so average, you know, 175, 200, some are as big as 500, some as little as 50 units. Yeah. Um, so the, the bigger, the better in terms of economies of scale. And it takes the same amount of time and energy to buy a 25 unit as a 250 unit. And, and we could, you know, make a lot more money on a larger building yeah. and have less competition usually for these larger assets. Yeah. So. so you all f- look for a unit. And this is, again, I mean, miles away from 10 years ago when you when you had that very first idea to do it. But you you look for a unit, you find something. You What are you basing it on? What What is that attractiveness about something? Yeah. So we first identify a market that we want to be in based on just being on the, the ground there, economics, population growth, rent growth, pe- you know, job growth, people, usually millennials, younger people moving there. And, um, you know, we identified Phoenix as a market that just, it was reeling from the recession, but it was the fifth largest city in the United States. And it was becoming more and more diversified in its economy. And we, we felt that, you know, it, we, there was limited downside. I mean, the, the downward, like tough times maybe could have happened a little longer than we thought. It, it really rebounded nicely and quickly. But um, we moved to Phoenix and then Denver, we identified as another prime market that just was a great market for a lot of new businesses moving in and, and you know, a lot of Californians move, move in there and people from all over just for the nice four seasons and for the, you know, education system. And it's a great city and it, it's been growing tremendously. And we've seen double digit rent growth the last probably four years or so in, or five years in Denver. It's been just booming and we've done really well there. We have around a th- uh, almost 2000 units there in Denver. Mm. Uh, then we identified Salt Lake City as another market. And, um, you know, so we first, ident- to get back to your question, we first identified the market, really do as much homework as we can being on the ground there, meeting with the Economic Development Corporation, meeting with business owners, meeting with the local brokers, and then identifying which parts of town we want to be investing in, which ones to be avoiding. And then we, um, you know, we get on the all the brokers distribution list. All these large apartment communities usually have a small group of brokers that sell them. And we really try to befriend the brokers. It's all about relationships. So, and the brokers want to usually pick a buyer that they know will close on time without any retrading of the asset or falling out. They just want to make sure their commissions like, like, like gold, you know, it's like done in the bank. So um, it's the broker relationships. It's our relationships with other sellers. 
And we typically buy buildings that are 60s, 70s, 80s built, older buildings, sometimes 90s built, and um, that need some TLC, some renovation. It just looks tired on the outside. Sometimes the interiors are really dated. Uh, we like the older buildings because generally the, the floor plans are a lot bigger. Nowadays, the newer buildings are just really tiny, the, the, the actual homes. And, you know, we like the older buildings. Are, they're on large lots that have um, a lot of, uh, you know, grass and amenities. And they're just nice communities to live in. And they're affordable. We really focus on, you know, affordable housing. It's it's market rate, but it's it's for the masses. We're not, you know, for the, the richest or the poorest. We're just like in the middle. And... Um, you know, creating that, just keeping it a, a relatively affordable and nice and, and safe and, you know, not, not over improving, but not, but taking good care of the building. And whenever there's a maintenance re request, you know, within 24 hours servicing that, um, we want people to stay long-term in our buildings. Mm -hmm. so. And when it comes to the, the syndicate or the, the group of people who are investing in it, a, how many usually are in a deal or per, you know, amount, and then B, how are you finding them? How are you being linked to them? Yeah. So, you know, that first bigger deal was only eight people. But as we continue to grow, you know, each deal we brought on five new investors, six new investors. And today our deals are a lot larger. So we just bought a deal in Denver, Colorado. It was um, 384 apartment units. Uh, purchase price was 64 million. We raised 25.5 million from around, give or take, 200 people. So the you know average check size is a little over a hundred thousand, but that's sort of skewed because we have um, one family sold a building that was in their trust in their you know in their family for a long time and put in three million, and yeah. then we have a lot of you know younger people that are, as long as people are accredited, we could work with them. So we have some people twenty five, fifty thousand, uh, usually hundred thousand is the most common check size that people put in you know for the, for the deals. So these are people from all walks of life, all different you know, businesses, but it's all pretty much word of mouth. Um, for the most part, people start telling their friends and family and, you know, people have that have money aren't really earning much interest in the bank and want more higher cash flow that these kind of properties provide with great tax benefits and the long-term appreciation plus the safety. I mean, it's, it's relatively safe compared to, you know, other kind of investments. And, yeah. um, and yeah. I, I don't know the, the legal, the legalities around this, but I will say just for our purposes that, um, you know, every investment is a risk. So if you're listening to this and you're at a family office or you're, uh, you know, accredited and you want to uh, connect and, and which I would encourage, you know, everything is risky. Please do your own diligence. Please have lawyers and all sorts of people behind you. And then uh, continue because I wanted to ask you then, do you have like this back panel where, the actual, like, it, cause it sounds so much like a startup, like startup syndication. Mm -hmm. So do you have a, a really easy way for people to say, oh, I want to, I want to dabble in that. And once I do, I just wire here and I push this button. Yeah. It's, it's a real simple process. So we're, we're up to probably around 700 investors cumulatively that have been in all of our deals. And I have a distribution list, maybe of 1500 people. So if someone reaches out to me and they tell me they're interested in being on the distribution list, then I'll, I'll add them as long as, you know, they're accredited. And, and then when we come out with a deal, we, we set, we just email out the offering memorandum to all the, the people, you know, the prospectus to all the people on our distribution list. And they, they just tell me how much they want to reserve, you know, reserve me 50,000, 150,000, whatever it is. Yeah. And then just within, hold that for me yeah. in this space. And then within 60 days, we, we, you know, we first do all of our physical due diligence, making sure the asset is what was advert as advertised. We do a lease file audit, make sure all the, you know, the rent roll is that was 
advertises is matches you know what what's actually there and then and then simultaneously we we come out with that offering memorandum while we're doing all the getting the financing lined up and within 60 days we'll have either you know people send check or wire and mm-hmm. usually within 60 days after the close of escrow we'll we'll send them the um, closing statement uh, all the certificate um, you know the membership certificate that you only have to sign a subscription agreement an operating agreement and it's all done online it's really simple and you know pe- people like dealing with us because they can put a little bit of money into a lot of deals. So if if you have a hundred thousand dollars, it, it's especially in LA that won't really go far. But you could put you could put you know a hundred thousand in multiple deals rather than buying. If you want to buy a you know we're in LA, so a five unit building in this area would be probably two million dollars. You need pro- give or take six seven hundred thousand dollar down payment to buy a five unit building. And the problem with small buildings is if you have you know one unit vacant, you're you're now eighty percent occupied only and to, you know, it, the cash flow is very lumpy and you usually you have to maintain and take care of it yourself. We have third parties that are professional management companies that staff the properties with maintenance techs, with leasing staff, and it's just more of a business and easy to run. And the cash flows are smoother because you're always 95, 96% occupied. I mean, during the downturn, some buildings got into the, you know, 80s and stuff, but we have a healthy economy now and, and all the buildings are well occupied. And what kind of returns in the past? Again, I'm saying this very blatantly. Please do your own diligence. But what kind of returns have you had in the past? Yeah, I mean, it's we've we've had amazing returns, and we're not just geniuses. We were buying when people were fearful. So we bought, you know, the 2,500 units we've sold, give or take 13 buildings. The average annual return net of our fees to the investor was something crazy, like 27, percent and that includes the cash flow plus uh, the back end. You know, once we once we sell the building. Mm-hmm. Um, when we're underwriting deals now, we're underwriting them, you know, to a probably around a low low teen IRR to be safe. And we we're very conservative in our underwriting, and it's um, you know, but God willing, we'll, we'll be able to beat it. But we're always underwriting deals that throw off between I'd say five to eight percent just cash on cash return during the during the hold period. Um, and you know, the big pop is on the, upon the sale when they, when they, when you receive the you know that'll average you up, but that was sort of crazy because 27%. We're not expecting that moving forward mm-hmm. just because we were buying when things were really depressed. So I'd say low teen, we'd be really happy. And and I like real estate in general because you don't have to see the daily fluctuations like a stock in yeah. the stock market, which makes me sort of bonkers. And so. it's leveled off, like you say, it used to be a, a high risk would, would yield high return, but, but now it's leveled off, which is still pretty good, right? Yeah. So, so how, what kind of timeline... Um, time horizon. Yeah. Are you talking so about? So whenever we buy a building, we generally underwrite a 10-year projected hold and and that's typically our holds have been like 3 to 5 years, but we want to underwrite a time where in case there's like a downturn or a recession, you don't want to be a forced seller. You want you always want to be able to withstand the recession and you look back, you know, 100 100 years has been at least probably 10 recessions and as long as you're able to withstand through the recession, the property values will always be a lot higher later, the rents will be a lot higher later. And the way we do that, we mitigate our risk is we get um, these 10-year fixed rate loans. So we don't have any, you know, floating rate loans that, you know, interest rates are very historically low now. So we'll lock that in for 10 years. Um, We raise a lot of extra money up front from the investors. So we call it like rainy day funds. So Mm -hmm. if the property occupancy drops or the rents drop or a combination of that and the um, income doesn't, isn't able to service the debt, we'll be able to feed it for a, you know, a good amount of time and uh, be able to hold on to the property through that tough time rather than going to investors and doing a capital call. Because 
most likely if the economy is doing bad, then their personal finances aren't doing well and they're not going to want to cough up money or mm-hmm. maybe not be in the um, ability, have the ability to put, put up extra money. So we rather raise a little extra money up front, it, which lowers the total p- potential return and cash flow. But I'd, I'd rather safe, you know, safe guard. Yeah. Yeah. Be safe and sorry. Yeah. yeah. And so when, during this 10 year period, did you start to see your personal uh, wealth change? Yeah. So the first, first year didn't really make much money because we didn't charge any fees really. Uh, when we started buying the bigger buildings, we charged acquisition fees, which were on the smaller buildings, you know, maybe four percent of the purchase price. Nowadays, it's only one to two percent because the the built the purchase prices are so large. So, you know, on our sixty four million dollar purchase, we charged a seven hundred fifty thousand dollar acquisition fee for putting that all together. So, um, I'd say the first few years we're just learning, and once we started buying the bigger buildings, like the commu- apartment communities, we could start charging acquisition fees. We charge an asset management fee, which is 2% of the gross revenue. So that starts adding up. And then um, the, the the big money is upon the sale. Once the buildings are sold, we do a like a 70-30 split. The investor gets 70% of the upside, we get 30%. So that's really where the, the bigger money really started happening. So I'd say it, it took a f- few years first, you know, in this business before I hit my first million. But um, you know, it was, it's real estate. It's a, it's not a get rich quick, but it's a get rich guaranteed over time. If you do it prudently and smartly. And there's a reason why most of the wealthy people in, in this country at least have s- some real estate, you know, exposure, uh, they've owned property for a long time is over time you pay down that mortgage and you know, you, you have cash flow from the building. The, the price goes up over, over a long period of time. And it's just a nice, safe way to, to build wealth over time. Yeah. And I mean, it, um, it feels like you don't like, do you splurge on anything? Oh, I, think, I do yeah. believe I met you on a Southwest flight. Yeah, I do believe yeah. that was what's going on. So the way we splurge is we were splur- on our investors actually. So real estate's great because you could see it, touch it, feel it. So when we were first starting the business, the first few years, most of the money we were making, we, we actually put together groups of like eight or nine of our best investors and actually flew them private to get to Phoenix and mm. Denver and Salt Lake to actually we had a, a pilot that was a friend, so he took it, you know, gave us a little bit of a discount, but it's still, you know, just, to, we spent a lot of money so the real, the investors could actually see it. And it was just a much easier sell once they saw the building and saw our, our business plan. And, you know, we weren't just selling them some idea. I mean, real estate has real intrinsic value. And, um, but personally explurging, I'd say the first, you know, thing I really spent money on, you know, was my Tesla. I'd say I had, um, the model S I bought five years ago. Uh, I went up to Fremont and got a tour of the factory and just fell in love with, you know, what, what, uh, Tesla was all about and wanted to you know support the environment. Plus the cool was, the car was amazing. And for fi- the last five years, I haven't gone to a gas station, which is the most yeah. freeing feeling ever. And did you see Casey Neistat go across country in his? No, I didn't see he, that. He's moving to LA or he moved to LA. And so he took a solo trip just a few days ago from New York to LA wow. West side yeah. and documented on, on Twitter as he does. I have, to, I have to check that out, but it's so just freeing. And the, the car is amazing. I mean, I, and the last splurge was I got the, so the first Tesla I got was the entry level. It was the 60 kilowatt and they, since discontinued it. Now I got the P100D, which is like the fastest one. And uh, I got an SUV because I have kids now, so it's easier to put them in the car and stuff. But yeah. it's um, that's something I really splurged on. Do you do yeah. trips? 
Uh, trips, yeah. So Experiences. definitely even from the beginning, you know, I've been married now almost seven years with, with my wife, 10, and we always tried to take trips at least once or twice a year, starting with smaller trips. And, you know, as we started making more money, trying to, trying to go to more dip farther away places. And, and so what, what does the, what do the next few years look like? And, and does it grow in the same kind of way that it has? Yeah, I'd say it's sort of, you know, snowballs. And there was a great book I read on Warren Buffett called, I think it was called Snowball and it starts slow. And then it really starts accelerating, accelerating. It's like the typical hockey stick when you're looking at a, you know, a startup that's really compounding 10% month over month. It's, it's maybe not as fast, but literally looking back to when we started with fourplexes and then we started with buildings that were three to $5 million purchase prices and then 10 to 20. And now we try to build, buy buildings that are 50 million and up because we, we have such an, a huge in, demand from the investors. And, you know, it's, it takes the same amount of time and energy to buy a big building as a smaller building. So um, I'd say we continue to buy larger buildings, maybe portfolios of buildings. Um, you know, it, it's it's gotten tough. The mobile home park space has really heated up with a lot of institutional capital um, chasing deals. And it's really driven prices up tremendously. So we're, we're, we're contemplating maybe selling uh, the seven mobile home parks that we've bought and just waiting till things cool off a little bit to go back into that. But uh, I'd say still building out our apartment portfolio, still building locally in, in the LA area, you know, in our backyard, and then diversifying. We we started a small VC fund. We put together uh, four and a half million bucks. We're a, a third of that. And we invested in 20 early stage tech startups and, you know, hopefully going to probably start a second fund and be the, the core anchor LP in that. And just a nice way to diversify. And I love entrepreneurship and supporting entrepreneurs and being part of something really early before someone else, when most people think, oh, this is silly or it's not going to work, like having conviction and believing in something. And I'd love to just continue doing that. Also. Do you ever see a day where you all sell the LLCs? I guess there's, you said each one has its own LLC. Is yeah. there an umbrella company? Um, yeah, the, well, the Gelt, uh, there's a managing member and we, we participate in that 30% of the upside in each individual yeah. property. And we, we have, you know, we sold 13 of those buildings already. We're planning to sell another two buildings and that's how we reap, you know, a lot of the profits upon the sale. And, you know, you gotta, but probably plug that money away into more, you know, real estate invest more money of our own money into our own deals. And then yeah. probably diversify and keep doing that angel investing kind of early stage stuff as well, just to diversify. And what's, I, occurred, I like it. what's occurred to me and listening to you um, and talking about the selling of it too, is like you, you work in both, you work in real estate and now you work in with startups. There's less, it seems like there's less kind of personal relationships with, like it's easy to sell because it's not that same kind of relationship that you build over time with the founder. Is that, is that true? Is it more, you're, you're moving assets. Oh, easier to sell the building. Yeah. yeah the, we, I, I mean, one of my mentors, a very wealthy gentleman, he, he's since passed away. He was worth billions of dollars. He said, don't fall in love with any of your buildings, fall in love with your bank account, which I thought was hilarious, but <laughs> I, it's, it's sort of easy to sort of get attached, emotionally attached to a building, but you know, and I could see how it could be easy to be attached to a company that you start from the beginning. And, but literally, you know, there are a lot of tax advantages. When you sell a building, you could do a, something called a 1031 exchange and literally roll all that equity, you know, the money that you sold from the old building into a new building and, and defer those, those, that long-term capital gain. So whenever we sell something, we always try to do that, you know, 1031. And we try not to get too attached. I get a little more attached to buildings we're building because, you know, we literally created something from scratch and uh, all the buildings we're building are in LA and LA is just so tough to, to find properties to be able to buy that pencil and then 
to build and it's tough to build in general. And we love LA as a long-term market for building. So probably going to hopefully never sell those, but occasionally, you know, we'll sell off a building here and there to create some good liquidity for us, for our investors and, and for our partners. For, I mean, for, yeah. And then how do people, how do people get in touch with you? Cause I know a, a lot of people are going to want to get in touch. Now, if you are thinking about getting in touch as an investor, if you can't write a check, that's a hundred thousand dollars, you know, just go <laughs> watch some videos and, and, and save up. But because you, you deal with people who can write hundred K and up, right. Yeah. Just to be fair with your time. Yeah. So if they're interested in just learning more about what you're doing or keeping up with you on Twitter to see the next building that you buy, how do they get in touch? Yeah, definitely. So Twitter's the best. I'm pretty active. It's uh, my name, Keith K E I T H. And then the little underscore Wasserman is my last name. W A S S E R M A N. Uh, you can feel free to email me. It's Keith, K-E-I-T-H, at geltinc.com. Uh, Gelt is G-E-L-T, and then I-N-C for incorporated.com. Yeah, I'm very available. Uh, follow me. My I think my social media is open, my Facebook and my Instagram. I'm pretty active. I, I'm a big believer in, you know, just showing what we're always doing and posting. And this, I mean, too much social media can be a little crazy, but I always, once a day, at least try to try to be on them. Yeah. yeah. You find yourself to be curious and excited to kind of work with people all the time. Yeah. You don't, you don't seem like someone who likes to work on an island. No, definitely. I think, I mean, Twitter has been amazing, for example. So um, we started, I didn't even talk to you about this, but we started a financial technology company called Demuso, which we were our first customer. It handles all the payments on these large apartment communities. Hmm. And one of our first VC investors is Jake Chapman. His, his Twitter handle is RunVC. And he, we met through Twitter and then we met in person and, you know, he invested in Demuso and then we, we pretty much, you know, hired him to run our VC fund. And without Jake, we wouldn't have Demuso where it is today. And we wouldn't have the Gelt VC fund. And we have some monsters brewing in that, in that fund. Um, You know, we wouldn't have that. and, And then that led to other things. So definitely keeping an open mind, you never know who in your life's gonna lead to different things and, you know, always be nice to everyone, I think is really yeah. important. What I've learned from my father, um, from, from someone that's servicing you to someone that you, th- you think's the CEO or whatever, just treat everyone the same, you know, be, be nice to, to everyone and be authentic. And yeah. Absolutely. All right. Well, thank you so much for coming by. And uh, I'm glad we met on Twitter. Yeah. <laughs> and uh, I really appreciate and learned a ton. Hey, so I'd love to talk to you and keep the conversation going. Find me on Twitter and Instagram at Arlen was here. That's A-R-L-A-N was here. Stick around too, because I will let you know when my new book is going to be in pre-order. Now that's coming out in uh, 2020. It'll be out as the real book. Oh my goodness. And it'll be you'll be able to pre-order it most likely this year so stay tuned i'll let you know all about that on twitter on instagram and on this podcast thank you again to digital ocean for sponsoring this episode if you are interested in sponsoring an episode of your first million get in touch with me um right now it's soups easy to do so you just email me at arlenhamilton at gmail that's a-r-l-a-n h-a-m-i-l-t-o-n at gmail.com and uh, put in the subject that you want to that you're thinking about sponsoring and I'll give you some more information Um, this is a really highly engaged audience really really uh, educated either 
through traditional means or through grit and tenacity or a little bit of both. And uh, yeah, these are the people you want to be talking to. You got you got aspiring founders. You've got in the trenches founders. You've got aspiring angel investors and active angel investors. You've also got venture capitalists. You've also got limited partners. And then you have people who are listening in to learn all about what all of that means. And so it's a really interesting group of people. Check it out. Thank you again, Digital Ocean, for sponsoring. Your First Million is produced and edited by Anna Eichenauer and senior producer Brian Landers. Additional audio mixing and mastering by Alfred Rook Hamilton. Additional production by Chacho Valadez. Executive producer, Arlen Hamilton.